The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversations of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is the author of the new book, Amazon Unbound, a revealing look into what I think is the most fascinating company on the planet. He is also the senior executive editor for global technology at Bloomberg at Bloomberg News, where he's assembled one of my favorite teams of reporters, a lot of good folks on that team. Brad Stone, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. I have plowed through your book. I think it's a fantastic book, and I'm thrilled that you're here to speak with me about it, speak with us about it. Uh, there, it's interesting because the book's title is Amazon Unbound, yet Bezos's face is on the cover. And you know, there were times where I'm like, "Is this an Amazon book? Is this a Bezos book?" And you really can't un- untwine the two, even though Bezos is going to step down as the CEO. So. What what happens to Amazon when Bezos leaves? Is he actually going to leave? Because he's scheduled to leave within a couple of months. That's right. But let's be specific. Uh, leave the CEO spot and become executive chairman. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not privy to any reasons other than the ones that he shared. Um, that he, you know, has a lot of competing obligations in in, a, in his life. Um, but you can't help but go back uh, about a year to that um, horribly awkward. Zoom uh, House committee meeting where mm. Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg and and Jeff Bezos and uh, Sundar Pichai testified, and you know it was a circus of political questions and theatrics. And I just wonder if Jeff sat there and thought, "Is this really how I want to be spending my time?" Right, the most valuable resource he has, which he so strategically apportions out to all of the things in in his world. And 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 look, I mean he. He says he's not going anywhere. He wants to stay at, at Amazon to work on new projects. It's always been his passion. And, you know, we don't know how much room he'll give Andy Jassy to run. Um, you know, I assume that Jassy will now be doing the stuff that Bezos does not find fun, like appearing for for those committee meetings. But there's right. no sense that he's really going to, you know, drift away and 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 give up. You know, Am- Amazon's his legacy. Amazon's the biggest uh, planet in his solar system. So um, I think Amazon will be fine. Uh, he is key to the company's inventiveness, and hopefully that comes through in the book. So yes, it uh, does. If, if he were to really leave, th- that probably is a problem for Amazon. Right. And I'm definitely I definitely want to talk about the role of like whether Bezos or the Amazon employees are core to invention inside the company. So why don't we save that for a minute? I wanna and, and I guess like if he was going to, you know, take this step back, he would follow the path of Bill Gates and Larry and Sergey, who sort of left when the going got got rough. So um that sounds like a good reason. And and of course I, I agree with you. I think he's gonna stay involved with the company. You know, you've written two books on Bezos. He is a uniquely driven person, obviously, with all this ambition inside Amazon, then the Washington Post, and then space. I'm sure you've thought about this over the course of writing these books, but what do you think drives Bezos? Like, oftentimes it's like a slight or a CEO trying to prove something. Um, you know, psychoanalyze him for a minute and, and, you know, bring us into what you think is actually behind this man's ambition. 
Sure. You know, as you say, I've, I've written two books, which is, uh, you know, hard to believe writing two books about uh, one, any one person or one company. Um, and, and that should equip me to give a nice pithy answer. But it, you, it's really a good question, Alex. Um, and of course, I'm not a psychoanalyst. Um, but, you know, I think I think well, that the we know. one. Yeah. <laughs> The you know one that one easy answer that I'll I'll grasp for is um, you know his interest in his curiosity and his sort of interest in building things. Um, I know you know he'll he really does try to position himself or, or describe himself um, as an inventor, um, as a builder. It's a it's sometimes a little bit like Miley Cyrus uh, saying she's a songwriter. You know, the world just sort of refuses to see them in that way, mm-hmm. right? We know Bezos as like an operator, as maybe a monopolist, as this dominant force in business. He wants to be seen as an inventor. And look, what we know is he's a voracious reader. He loves science fiction. It you know, reading sci-fi books and and being a futurist has allowed him to conceptualize products like Alexa. I think that one reason why he bought the Washington Post was because it was a, a building challenge, you know, to come in and apply his principles uh, of, of business to a, a newspaper, a institution that was kind of reeling. Um, he, he, you know, he's building the 10,000-year clock. He's building Blue Origin. He's building new philanthropies. He, he likes to do everything a little bit differently, right? Um, and I think that curiosity and, and that, that drive to kind of construct lasting things is, is, is key to what drives him. But, you know, we can't also dismiss some of the more human things. Like, he's competitive. We know that, right? He... Mm-hmm. You know, he's always been super competitive with Google in particular. Um, I think, you know, he would take a lot of pride in being the largest company in the world one day by by revenue. Um, and so, you know, there there probably are some more, you know, down to earth terrestrial uh, answers to your question. Yeah, it does. The curiosity and the passion to invent does strike me. And I definitely saw that while I was writing Always Day One. Um, and you speak to these managers and, and inside Amazon and ask them to speak about Bezos and it always comes down to the fact that like they view this invention, the self-actualization as the key part to the life they want to live versus cruising around on yachts, which is funny because you did find Bezos' yacht. <laughs> because so Jeff Bezos is building a yacht. Changing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you how do you think Jeff Bezos um, from the Everything Store, which is your first book, is different from the one that you write about in Amazon Unbound? Yeah, I mean, he totally is, right? And the first key is just the visual cues, right? The the geeky, He's uh, right? Slightly <laughs> ruffled, rumpled uh, technologist of the early years is gone. Um, you don't hear the laugh as much anymore. Um, and it, you know, replacing him as the master of the universe, uh, yes, who's you know, kudos to his personal trainer who, um, you know, is being seen courtside at Wimbledon and on the yacht of, of David Geffen. So a lot has changed. And it's funny, I try to chart that change in, in Amazon Unbound. In, in the introduction, I really talk about how in the early years, he was so focused on Amazon. He was not someone who his his colleagues and his friends thought would be buying boats or buying fancy cars. He even made it almost a character point that he was driving to work every day in his whole old beat up uh, Chevy Blazer and, and then uh, and then a Honda. Um, and, you know, and now he does tend to collect, you know, the assets of the extremely wealthy. Um, the boat, the boat is, is you know, is, is, is sort of a theme I almost play with at the end of the in, at the end of the book because it illustrates how much he has changed. And then the other thing is, I would say that 
that, you know, Amazon is continues to be a focus, but there are no so many competing things. And I think I, I quote Jamie Diamond of, of City in the book early saying that, you know, Jeff, the, re, the, the larger world really opened up to him. And that means being, you know, a, mm-hmm. a citizen in elite circles in Washington and Hollywood, um, you know, meeting with world leaders. Um, but it also means applying his unique intellect to these real, you know, Society, big societal challenges like like global warming. I mean, I think he feels like he has a responsibility to address that. So, you know, the Bezos that you know we covered ten years ago probably would would have thought that's not you know part of his mission, and now it certainly is. What do you make of the fact that um, nerdy Bezos took Amazon to one level, but the companies really seem to explode? Uh, you know, in the era of Jack Bezos uh, or Lex <laughs> Luthor Bezos, right? Is that you know, a, is that a leadership lesson? Like maybe you don't no, be so humble. No, and because spend those nerdy, time Bezos, on the nerdy Bezos <laughs> constructed Set the foundation, the intricate, right? The intricate machinery that allowed this thing to explode. Almost everything that's happened over the last five years, what has been fueled by the acceleration of Prime, by by the operations expertise that they developed in the fulfillment centers by the by the traffic that was drawn and then created an opportunity for an ad business and by the explosion of AWS which was founded in like 2005 2006. So yeah, Nerdy Bezos uh who knows? He Nerdy Bezos might have been a more effective leader and you know we might find out in a couple of years that as you call him <laughs> jacked Bezos um you know has has taken his eye off the ball a little bit and created some of the problems that you know and and vulnerabilities that we could talk about. Yeah, it is interesting when I speak with people and they always like, especially when it comes to Microsoft, and this is when we talk about evaluating Steve Ballmer's legacy, they always want to point to profits. But oftentimes it is the five years before that lay the foundation for the five next years inside a company. And so all that hard work that Nerdy Bezos did is seeming to pay off now. Maybe he's just enjoying the fruits of his labor. So let's talk about um, Bezos's image. I mean, we've been dancing around a little bit, but um, the role that he plays in shaping it. One of the things I find fascinating about the guy is that he does seem to be extremely image conscious. Like you mentioned, he wants to be known as an inventor, like all CEOs are. And yet he doesn't do any interviews or hardly any. I can't remember the last time he actually sat down for a one-on-one with a journalist. And it's so strange because he owns a newspaper. He owns the Washington Post, um, but he didn't sit down with you for, um, for this one. Uh, there was a scene with him at the beginning of the Everything Store, so you got him there. Why do you think Bezos is so press shy? Like, what's behind his strategy there? That's a really good question. He has done a couple in on-stage interviews over the past few years. They tend to be about Blue Origin. Um, when they're not, they tend to be with very friendly interviewers. He did one in L.A. a couple of years ago, and the the interviewer was his brother. So, you know, no, no, uh, it was no a great pitch. conversation. It was his it brother was really put fun. up pictures of him dressed up as like a, a peach and he was the grapes or something like that. That's uh, right. But no journalists. Yeah. You know, occasionally he'll he'll do one with Stephen Levy at Wired. Um, those are always great conversations. Um, look, I don't know. I think maybe, you know, there comes a point where you don't feel like you have to explain yourself anymore. It's also true that Amazon has its own channels now, like a lot of companies. They sort of feel like they can go directly to their customers. And, you know, why wrestle with a, um, you know, potentially um, a combative journalist? Um 
And look, um, you know, in the early years, he was very available and was very strategic. He Mm -hmm. was building a brand. He was trying to insert, implant the Amazon.com brand and the value proposition proposition into customers' minds. For a while, he was on CNBC all the time. He was trying to reassure investors uh, during the dot-com bust. And now what would the point be, right? I mean, it's like he doesn't do – he doesn't spend his time on things without kind of outward – goals um clear pragmatic goals so you know in turn you know which is probably why he talks about blue origin you know he's he's still on a mission there and in terms of amazon uh you know the thing is a runaway freight train and there's not much he has to do i could kind of see him well you know he he used to lend his his gravitas and presence to to product launches and then that sort of went famously wrong with the launch of the fire phone where his presence raised expectations so high that then the resulting kind of reception of the phone was extremely disappointing and the thing flopped and they 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 had to pull it from the market. And now he doesn't even do those anymore. So maybe those are some of the factors. And maybe to go back to what I was saying about Congress, he just doesn't want to spend his time doing it. Yeah. Uh, the old days, Bezos is, I mean, nerdy Bezos going back to him, like kind of hilarious, like shows up at the you know on the side of a building like talking about the strategy for amazon and you can watch that video on youtube or i think he even did a pizza hut commercial um but you, taco, you see bell. Him, taco, taco bell bell. yeah one of the more bizarre relics of amazon history <laughs> <laughs> yeah and now like you'll see him he'll still be out there but he controls the media now he'll do it on his instagram uh what do you think Bezos thinks about you because your books have definitely been, you know, the first one for sure. Our second one, without a doubt, will be the big sort of image shapers for him in terms of like people who want to really know who Jeff Bezos is. Do you have a sense of how he feels about you, Brad? Alex, I urge you to go and and get the answer to that one yourself. <laughs> I do. I cannot say. Yeah. Um, look, I, I know that he he what he did allow me to talk to. Many members of the S team, many employees, and and some personal. The S team friends. is his senior leadership, his, right? Team, uh, personal right. friends. Um, so that was good. You know, I, I I hope I think I think I'm speculating that he recognizes that these books have been embraced by Amazon employees and potential employees and people in the ecosystem, and that therefore it's important to get them right. And which is why the company really engaged with me and went into a pretty significant fact checking process. But personally. I have no idea. Yeah. I would imagine that he doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I'll, I'll say, uh, well, you never know with CEOs when it comes to this type of stuff. I'll say when I was in Seattle, um, almost everyone I spoke with was, were uh, told me that your book was spot on and like, a you know, the first one, Everything Store. And I think they'll say the same about this one. Um, That's maybe ni- nice to hear because I did yeah. get some uh, re- resistance on the first one from them, right? Oh, right. Mackenzie Bezos wrote you a one-star review. Do you think she's going to come in and give you a five-star review now that you're now that they're divorced? I would hope. You know, she's listening. <laughs> I, I'll, let's say I'll welcome that. That would be yeah. nice uh, publicity. But no, I feel like she has kept, uh, you know, uh, um, deliberately a, a very private public profile, uh, right. and so I would be. I would, unfortunately, I, I don't think I can anticipate that. If Lauren Sanchez wants to leave me a review, I, I would welcome that as well. I don't think Michael Sanchez uh, is going to leave you a very positive review. Um, that's Lauren's brother, who apparently is the one that ended up leaking all these sultry messages between 
Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez. Uh, well, I, I'm going to ask you some more organizational questions, but why don't we just talk about that for a minute? So everybody thought that it was Saudi Arabia that hacked Jeff Bezos's phone. Turns out it was Lauren Sanchez's brother. What did you find out? I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I would say more that there was a kind of cloud of ambiguity, and and it was you know there were plenty of reports that Michael Sanchez had had uh, you know had provided information to the National Enquirer, but there were also there was also a, a forensics report that Jeff's phone had been hacked. Um, you know, it's it's very possible that was true. Um, you know, I when I set out to write this book, I did not imagine that I would be going down this avenue and writing about the <laughs> right, intimate all photos. this happened afterwards. Yeah, right. Um, I had to spend a lot of time unraveling it. And, you know, what I concluded was really just based on the current available evidence. And, you know, it, it is always possible that, you know, something comes out that blows up our understanding of it. But there's no evidence when you look at the voluminous case files and the and the Southern District of New York investigated it because Bezos was accusing AMI, the company that owns the Inquirer, of uh, extorting him. And, and, you know, which is a crime. And they investigated it and they and they dropped the case. And my reading, and they might have had other reasons for doing that, but my reading of the available evidence is it points, you know, very clearly, you know, to to Michael as the as the leaker, and no political motives or international intrigue, uh, at least leading to to the to those articles and to the frictions between AMI and and the Bezos camp, you know, Bezos and and his his. Um, Associates raised the idea that this was because of the Washington Post, motivated by enmity from Trump world to the Post reporting or enmity from Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't think that they were being disingenuous when they suggested that. I mean, Michael Sanchez was a was a is is a prominent. Well, he's a he's a conservative voice on Twitter. Um, the Saudis did have reasons, you know, to, to view the Washington Post as a political enemy. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, it, it in retrospect feels a little bit like misdirection, that this was really, you know, a much simpler saga of a, of a extremely prominent and wealthy person who, you know, started a, sec a relationship, um, you know, which uh, he either didn't care or didn't understand that the world would be sort of interested in. Um, and he made himself vulnerable to, um, you know, to, to prying eyes and, you know, and it's, it's a funny little side story, but I think it also helps to chart what we've been talking about, which is the evolution of Jeff, you know, from, from, uh, you know, a sort of uh, like classic tech nerd internet builder into, you know, this transformation into something quite different. Yeah. And it was interesting that, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, uh, you title your chapter complexifier. And he said owning the Washington Post is a complexifier for him and, you know, not so uh, vaguely alluded to the fact that Trump world and Saudi Arabia might be behind the fact that his messages got out, even though it seems clear that um, it was Michael Sanchez. It's weird that Lauren Sanchez Bezos' girlfriend would forward those messages to her brother. What? I, I, I mean, what's right. going on there? No, that does seem a little unusual. Because you, you noted, know you said it's a yeah. weird sibling relationship. Right. But no, I, I feel think, like there's look, more you wanted to say there, yeah. Maybe. Um, <laughs> it's one, one more. It's another one of those, like, am I writing a business book here? Like, what? what? Um, yeah. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I can't really say. My, my sense of from studying it was that, you know, they were close at the time. It was almost like sharing, you know, 
you know, almost like humble bragging um, and also a little st- strategizing, a little like uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, like, you know, how should I respond to this kind of kind of thing? Um, mm. And beyond that, you know, maybe we don't need to read too much into it. Um, but yeah, one of the more unusual aspects of, uh, of, of, a, of a story about a company. Yeah, I, I think that after you sold the book, I mean, the Bezos story just kept blowing up between you know, the divorce and then the way that he handled these uh, messages getting out. And then HQ2 and happened trust, while HQ2, HQ2 yeah. and the pandemic. Yeah. It's wild. Right. So, okay, you said, am I writing a business book? Am I writing a personal book? Let's talk a little bit about the business book element. Uh, do you see Bezos as, so I think one of the questions that I've had writing about Bezos is, is he a visionary or is he a facilitator? Because he does come up with ideas on his own, but he's also built systems inside Amazon to bring ideas to his leadership with as little friction as possible. And I've always fallen on the side of facilitator that it's the systems that Bezos has built that have enabled Amazon to be so inventive. But it does seem after reading Amazon Unbound that there is you know, a definitely a visionary element in there where things like Alexa, something that he came up with. Things like the ghost store, where you can check out without scanning any items uh, and waiting online as you leave, actually was something that was uh, more Bezos's idea than I had originally recognized. So, what's your take, you know, on the visionary versus facilitator debate? Yeah, that's a great, great question and a good, good insight, Alex. I I just cracked open my book because I was thinking about this precise thing huh. when I was looking for epigraphs, um, and I I use a quote uh, from a, a great book uh, called "The Last Days of Night" um, about about Thomas Edison and, and Tesla and their rivalry. It's actually a novel, um, and you know, the, I'll just read the first line, and it's, it's about Edison. But it's his genius was not in inventing; rather, it was inventing a system of invention. And that yes. is, yeah, that's what I've always felt is the case right. with Bezos. Yeah. And, but, but it really is both. Um, he, mm-hmm. he, he, he has created systems of invention. And what we mean by that is, you know, processes and rituals and customs inside Amazon and ways to think about things and ways to escalate problems and ways to, um, go to multiple people for decisions and overlook or get over, um, you know, nose from bosses. That's all the, the system of invention. It's been tremendously su- successful at Amazon and the Washington Post. I would argue it has not been as successful at Blue Origin, uh, and I have a chapter on that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's he also is an inventor, and you know, you mentioned. Alexa, which springs, you know, fully formed from his mind in an email in late 2010 uh, that he sends to a couple of folks, including uh, Ian Freed, uh, who was running the Firephone project, and and uh, Greg Hart, his his technical assistant at the time. And the he, Bezos was thinking about ways to capitalize on AWS, and he says we should build a twenty dollar computer whose brains are in the cloud that is completely controlled by your voice. And he's describing the Echo. And, he drew it you know, out, they, and it's like almost yeah. exactly what it looks like today. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, he, he, I have, I have the the sketch uh, on the whiteboard it's in the book. Um, yeah, in yeah. the book, and um, yeah, and then you look at other things, and you know, little decisions um, to integrate video into Prime, um, to to push the frontier of of uh, visual computing, image recognition to create the ghost store. Yeah, a lot of these ideas, you do archaeology on them when you're writing about Amazon, and you pull on the threads and trace them back, and lo and behold, they start with something that Jeff said or emailed. And look, that's not 
the inventor in the classical sense of a guy with a, a lab coat in a you know in a in a room you know tinkering but you know he does conceptualize a lot of these ideas and then he invests his own time and 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 authorizes the investment of dollars as well and then has incredibly high standards and pushes his teams to go realize these goals yeah there are so many interesting uh, examples of that like in terms of the processes of invention in the book you talk about how if your manager says no to something inside amazon you go to another one and in most companies that's completely heretical uh might get you fired but in amazon it's just like all right if one person doesn't believe in it then Okay, maybe somebody else will, and they'll be able to bring it to life. Right, they call it multiple multiple paths to yes. Yeah, and then like as you walk through, I mean, I'm sure you've walked through the campus there in Seattle, but as you walk through, you see everything is geared towards pushing people toward invention. Whether it's you know the spheres, which are these you know giant glass balls with plants in them that are supposed to make people feel creative, to the fact that there are posters of products that they've created along the walls with everybody who was part of that original team signing those posters. And of course it's right in their leadership principles, which, you know, people inside Amazon, uh, you know, they, um, they hold more closely than their own religion. Often like you had a line in the book where someone had to say, would you please stop evaluating our relationship based off of leadership principles, which is like totally par for the course inside Amazon. It's totally, amazing. totally. So, Another, you know, obviously Amazon's like a very inventive place. Um, it seems exciting in some ways, but people work so hard there. Uh, and you've spoken with some people who have sort of been disenchanted by how hard that they had to work. Uh, but, you know, it's not unheard of for people inside Amazon to put nights, holidays, weekends. Uh, you know, everybody in the retail organization works right through Thanksgiving. They have these pagers that put them on call just and, and you know, if they're sleeping and it rings goodbye sleep you're back on uh, back on and like there was that new york times article that talked about how hard amazon is as a as a um, workplace and i think it sort of over dramatized the thing but people do work extremely extremely hard there what what in what world is working that hard worth it uh you know basically for someone to like give away their life you know to this company i'm, I'm just curious how do you think they justify it uh in terms of the hours they put in like is there something so special about Amazon's mythology? Is there something so special about the workplace? Mm. How, how do people end up doing this? And I know what happens in a lot of jobs. Right. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, the, the easiest answer is, is you know, it's self-interest, right? They're all capitalists uh, who, who mm -hmm. go to work to, um, you know, at the one of the most exciting companies in the world to get the experience on the resume. Um, they get uh, shares of stock that vest over a period of four years. They have self-interest in making that stock price go up and uh, in, in, in getting wealthier, adding to their personal wealth. Um, you know, does anyone have a, you know, patriotic fervor about Amazon? I mean, I'm sure some people do. The old timers probably do. But there's also mm. a lot of turnover at Amazon. I, you know, so I, I would just I would just answer your question it's 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 self-interest it's the, what you learn there it's kind of the big leagues you know the idea um that you you know you get to work alongside some business legends of the 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 possibility that you might get to sit in a meeting with jeff bezos is probably pretty motivating um that you might get one of those panic inducing question mark emails that he sends when he wants something fixed um you know is uh, probably adds to a sense of excitement but look, I mean, Amazon disputes this, but my sense is that the, that the turnover rate, at least in the lower levels and, and almost 
recently in the upper levels of management is pretty high. You know that there is a mm-hmm. pretty good burnout rate there. Um, the the turnover in the fulfillment center is as high, and it's because Jeff has designed this, you know, as a place where it is impossible to get comfortable. You know, everything from the compensation system uh, to the pace of work to the pace of meetings to the six-page documents you have to prepare often at night or over the weekend. It's designed to be hard. He doesn't. He never wanted it to become a country club. And so, you know, people go there for the experience and the opportunity to make some money um, or because they're interested in the, in the technical problems. Um, and, you know, and then often you find them, you know, leaving or leaving and coming back sometimes, you know, all, all yeah. manner of motivation problems. Yeah, that's one of the things that struck me about Amazon employees is that they wanted to learn these rituals and mechanisms and ways of doing business that Amazon does that has made it so successful they could potentially apply it outside or they would be different uh you know they'd be able to operate at a higher level and then they go outside and a lot of them just realize they just don't want to be anywhere else it it is sort of the stockholm syndrome and they just boomerang right back to amazon which is interesting it's such a you know what it's such an idiosyncratic place to work Mm -hmm. I, i often wonder if sometimes for people who stay there for a while it makes them almost kind of unsuitable to go to go elsewhere. Oh, that's the other side of it. Yeah, because yeah. managers say, hey, I hired someone from Amazon. They're a huge pain in my ass and they're making me write everything down. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> right. Now, you yeah. know, these are – there's a lot it's, – it's so big. It's over a million employees right now. We could probably yeah. find all manner of experience, but all this is very familiar. Yeah. Uh, last question of this segment. You manage a team of, of 60 people or so. How, if at all, have you – uh, learned and applied some of the stuff that you've learned about Amazon into your own role as a manager? Yeah, really good question. Wow. Uh, so I, I I run a tech team at Bloomberg News. Um, we've got people all over the world. I have never instituted six-page documents or any any yeah. Bezos. Well, you do make them right, but it's for a different. That's purpose. right. They, that's right. Um, <laughs> but I do. But I do often. I feel like I maybe think about things in a little bit uh, because like how, how could, when, you know, I've written two books and spent the better part of 10 years studying one guy in one company. So maybe it's inevitable, but sometimes I, I, I might not even be able to put my finger on it, but approaching things or thinking things in the way that I would imagine an Amazon executive or Jeff might, um, you know, and, and that's, huh. you know, for, for us, it's like a focus on, you know, they would say a focus on the customer. For us, it's a focus on the reader and always keeping in mind, do you know, are we writing in a way they understand? Are we keeping them engaged in stories? Um, you know, are we following? Um, are we are we leaning? You know, and sometimes it's, you know, Amazon's great at leaning into techno- technological changes, right? They, you know, they don't try to protect the business model today if something about if something about the industry is going to change tomorrow, a great example is one and one with unintended consequences is when uh, Alibaba and and a company called Wish started to um, do a cross-border e-commerce, like allow sellers in one country to sell in another. And Amazon had this great marketplace business of sellers just selling in the country. They went and blew it up and started selling from China into the U.S. and Europe, and they made all their sellers in the U.S. upset angry, right? They mm. really disrupted themselves. It created all sorts of chaos. Um, but, you know, and and for me, it's like, okay, if, if something happening in the tech world, in the media world, that that makes the things we're doing today, you know, outdated tomorrow. And if so, you know, do we need to ad- adapt? I would say that's maybe one place where I try to th- maybe think, I'll, but the Amazon reporting has impacted me a little bit. Fascinating. 
Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be back here um, for more of a rapid fire fire type of uh, question and answer stuff about the future of Amazon and some of the other stuff we haven't covered yet. All right, hang with us. We'll be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back for the second half here on the Big Technology Podcast with Brad Stone, the author of the new book just came out this week. It's called Amazon Unbound. Uh, So we talked a lot about Jeff Bezos uh, and his leadership practices and the personality um, let's just go into a few other ancillary parts of his empire that might make sense to touch on. First, the Washington Post. It plays a big role in your book. You seem to uh, be fairly on the side of the fact that Bezos's ownership doesn't necessarily impact the way that they do their editorial business or the way that they write stories, the way they structure their decisions um, from a news gathering standpoint. But you know, I want to press you on that a little bit because... You know, as I'm reading the book, I'm I'm reading about people inside the Washington Post using like Jeff Bezos's sayings, talking about one-way doors and two-way doors, uh, which is his decision framework. Um, you know, one-way door, you're you can't go back. Two-way doors make the decision, then you can go back. How is it possible that a company whose like upper leadership is all sort of bought into Bezos and seeing the way that he transformed the company, you know? won't have any influence in terms of the fact that he's the owner when it comes down to the editorial operations. Like I haven't yeah. seen any hard hitting stuff about uh, Amazon in the Washington Post. Maybe okay, I Well, let's it. put that aside for a second and maybe we could try to come back to it. Um, Jeff has had a tremendous impact on the Post. He has mm-hmm. saved the Post. He took a, a an atmosphere of melancholic decline uh, and, and turned it around and the size of the newsroom has doubled and they've leaned into all the changes that have hit the media business and the subscription business is growing and they've got a sense of passion and purpose. On the business side, I think they are very Bezos-like, and they're mm-hmm. and he's meeting with them every other week and um, he's asking them to bring me new things and they're writing documents. But that's the business side. And we know journalists, right? Mm-hmm. We're an irascible, independent, stubborn, yeah. and frankly, unpleasant bunch of people. And, you know, there's no, I mean, I, I and, and Marty Baron, you know, who, who until recently was the post editor, is the fiercest right. of them all. And there's no way that any, you know, that those journalists are going to take their marching orders from Seattle. Uh, and if they were asked to, they'd probably walk out the door. And, and look, I asked, I, you know, and I examined mm-hmm. the record. No, I don't think he has any kind of an impact, nor does he want to on the, on the post editorial strategy. When it comes to the post coverage of Amazon, like I'm, I'm pretty loath to criticize other journalists. And look, I think Jay mm-hmm. Green, who covers Amazon for the post is one of the, one of the best Amazon reporters out there. Um, but you know, at, 
at Bloomberg, you know, we're, we're, we don't think, you know, I don't think Bloomberg News, I don't know this for sure. I don't think Bloomberg News covers Mike Bloomberg. I mean, the sense is yeah. that there's plenty of other media in the world that can, you know, that can do that and take those shots if they want to. So, but I, I don't think the Post is reluctant to cover Amazon. Um, you know, they've got a good crew. Um, they've been building their technology team quite a bit. Um, is there some sort of like maybe, uh, you know, back of the mind worry that it's not a great career move to write critically about the boss? That's probably always true at, at any media organization you work with. But then again, that that tech team's a good one. And I don't think they pull punches. So, you know. Yeah, no doubt. No, I think the tech team is is excellent over there. But yeah, I do. I do wonder about like whether it's actually possible to fully unpack Bezos's influence on that company with the way that they cover Amazon. And, if, if, you know, at the end of the day, like, I mean, I don't think that the journalists there are like trying to please him. I agree with you about the sentiment there. But, you know, as the Washington Post develops into uh, one of the more, I mean, it's always been an important publication in the United States, but like now it's one of the last standing. Um, I do think it's something interesting to think about. Okay. Yeah. But I, I won't put you in the position of having to um, criticize Washington Post journalists. I think the team there is great too. No, and and I'm an admirer. And one thing that I discovered in reading the book is that Bezos is a, a careful reader of the Post, and and articles have mm. inspired product initiatives inside Amazon. I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, quickly, antitrust. Uh, one of the interesting things about antitrust was the coverage, uh, the, the mention of this A&P case that the Amazon executives have read, which basically showed how A&P grocery stores got torn apart uh, by like pretty serious antitrust push and didn't say much. And that seems to be behind the combative attitude that Amazon has when it comes to antitrust. You know, we've, we see them get over their skis a little bit on Twitter. Uh, trying to criticize their opponents. But do you think that that's just the overall strategy, which is Amazon doesn't want to just sit there and take the beating? Yeah, and I think the strategy has a number of components. You know, one is to answer critics and correct mistakes if they where they think they see them and to leave no blade of grass uh, untouched, as they say, mm -hmm. which is, you know, to really contest everything. But I think you look at the lobbying budget in D.C. and Amazon's budget has increased, so they're playing an influence game behind the scenes. And then... You know, we're talking about, you know, okay, so combative, uh, trying to influence, but they also lead with their chin a little bit and 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 sort of, you know, go into submissive mm. pose uh, when, when they need to. And you see that again and again when they sort of make mistakes, they retreat, um, you know. They, they when David Sapolsky, the chief Amazon lawyer, you know, some some comments were leaked to him that were critical of of, a, of an Amazon worker. He uh, who was protesting, he immediately apologized. And they say that, you know, that they, um, you know, are, are willing to, like, comply with new regulations and laws and they've supported, you know, various initiatives. So I think, you know, they read the, the book about the great AMP, but the lessons they really learned are, were from Microsoft's, I think, combativeness and unavailability in the 1990s, which led to the years of, of an antitrust case. And, and they don't want to be Microsoft. And so they're going to engage with the process in all kinds of ways at every opportunity um, and, and to kind of make sure or head off any kind of significant scrutiny if they can. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I saw you point out was um, how they told uh, how, how inside the company, they say, uh, if things are, if the critics are right, then change, which takes a lot. You don't hear that often within companies. And they did change when the, with the Bernie Sanders stuff. 
But let's also admit, you know, not to be well, let's not be too nice to them on the on the private yeah. label stuff and the and the accusation that they that Amazon managers were peeking at third party data to figure out what to sell on private label. It's yeah. so clear now from reporting across the tech press and in my book that they were doing that for a period of years. And Amazon doesn't seem willing, and maybe the lawyers aren't allowing them, to admit that mm -hmm. they made a mistake there and that the guardrails inside the company weren't as high as they needed to be. Um, so that's interesting. Maybe that that they see it's a little bit more existential and they're digging in. Yeah, there was uh, that answer that Bezos gave in the testimony where he's like, well, our policy is not to do this. I can't promise you we've never done it. And there's like, we're going to study it. You know, we're, we, we're investigating. Yeah, and I, I don't see that they've ever <laughs> given an answer on it. Yeah. Um, all right. Let, let me just ask you a one word question and then we'll uh, let you get out of here into your to your staff meeting. Bezos, uh, you know, he's going to going to step down from the CEO role at Amazon. He has three options to focus the majority of this time or the priority of time of his time. Uh, it's the Washington Post or maybe four Washington Post space philanthropy and Amazon, which gets most of Bezos's time. I, I'm, I'm not going to I'm going to cheat because I, I don't <laughs> think it's well, you ask plurality, right? Yeah. Good question. I, okay, it's not the Washington Post because I think he's he can continue on a by by monthly cadence. I, I think it's going to shit. I think it's still Amazon in the short term, mm. and then you know Blue Blue Origin is you know they're they're about to start sending suborbital tourists to suborbital space, but the the company is dysfunctional and it's being quite badly outrun by SpaceX. So if if it doesn't show signs of improvement, he might have to take some time and 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 spend spend more of his time there at least in the short term to try to fix it and who knows maybe shuffle some management. Um and then over the long term I think it's philanthropy because you know the legacies of of great business people are measured not just by how they amass their fortunes, but by how they distribute them. And you know Jeff got a late start and has a lot of work to do. Yeah, and he he also gave himself that late late start. He'd been so reluctant to part with the money. Uh, I I'll say my personal opinion is that it's space, especially now that he's in this ego fight with Elon Musk, and I don't think he's going to go down without a fight. So I'm going with space. Okay, you may be right, Brad. Thank you for joining. The book is Amazon Unbound. It's a terrific book. It's available now. Uh, it went on sale yesterday, and uh, I highly recommend it. I enjoyed reading it cover to cover and hope you do too. Well, thanks everybody for listening. It's great having you here on another week. If this is your first time here, please hit subscribe. We do these conversations every Wednesday. If you've been listening for a while and can rate us, that would be great. Thank you to Nate Kowatney, who does the editing, Red Circle, the hosting, and ad selling. That's it for us here on Big Technology Podcast. We will see you next week.